Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. We are so excited that you are joining us for the show today. This podcast aims to explore a biblical life view in a conversational tone. Let's join our host and founder of Servants of Grace, Dave Jenkins, for today's episode. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome back to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. My name is Dave and I'm the host for this podcast. And with me today, I have Bill. Bill, welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, brother. Thanks, Dave. Good to be with you. Looking forward to chatting together. Yeah. Yeah. I've enjoyed just uh, getting to chat with you briefly here before we start recording. Um, I'm really interested to hear a little bit about your life, marriage, ministry, and some of the current ministry projects you're working on. Yeah, thanks for asking. So my wife, Amy, and I have four children from age 13 to 4. They're looking forward to getting out of school soon so we can uh, do some bike riding in the Kalamazoo area, which we love to do together. So we've been here about four years. I pastored a a church in Northeast Pennsylvania for seven years prior to that. It's been wonderful to be in both places. Glad to be here in Michigan where I grew up. Uh, And uh, yeah, in terms of current projects, um, finishing up editing a book of essays for elders and deacons called Faithful and Fruitful. So that's been in addition to my regular pastoral work at Emmanuel Fellowship Church in Kalamazoo. Uh, that's been a, a really um, a project I'm really excited about. Looking forward to um, putting those essays in the hands of elders and deacons to encourage them and their very very important calling. So that's awesome. That's awesome. Looking forward to reading that. I, I saw you post asking about uh, pictures and or uh, which picture you like the best or something like that to people who follow you. So that was, that was yeah. Cool. I get a little indecisive when it comes to book covers, so <laughs> needed a little help on that one. I'm thankful for the help that, that yeah. I was given. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, can you uh, tell us about your book, The Future of Everything? essential truths about the end times why you wrote it and how's it being received yeah so i i wrote the book um i was asked to teach a course on the end times in connection with a uh, a ministry called item international theological education ministries uh, item.org um, it's a great ministry that provides theological education primarily to seminary students overseas who aren't able to travel uh to the states or, or don't have a good local seminary or maybe they do have a, a good local seminary but just to augment that teaching. And so um, Item asked me to travel to Croatia to teach a course on the end times. Um, and so that was really, really, it was wonderful to share this doctrine that is is so hope-giving for people of every language and you know, tribe and people and nation. At the same time, I was teaching this content at our church here in Kalamazoo. And after this, the, the teaching sessions, just conversing uh, about the matters with the congregation, um, asking questions, hearing feedback. And so that, that really spurred this project forward into into a book. I primarily wrote the book because Christianity is a religion of hope, and we need to be sure that as God's people, we're grounded in hope, uh, so that we actually, you know, Peter talks about uh, that we should be able to give a, a reason for the for the hope that is within us. Well, that that implies that people need to observe that we're hopeful, that we have um, you know a definite reason not only for living but for uh, being happy and holy and different and. And um, so, so I just want to want to encourage God's children to be built up in present faithfulness by the promises that God gives for us uh, with regard to the end times. So, yeah, in, in terms of how it's been received, uh, it's been received well 
by the, for the most part, very encouraging response. Um, some 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 negative comments, which I'm actually sort of proud of. Sometimes uh, one negative feedback on the Amazon page, admittedly by somebody who didn't read the book but heard another podcast somewhere, wrestles with the idea of uh, you know accuses the book of being sort of given to allegorizing and spiritualizing, which I think it isn't. But I think what it brings up is the end times is hard. You know, there's a lot of uh, elements of prophecy that are not meant to be taken in a strictly literal fashion, but that doesn't mean that we aren't handling Scripture faithfully. So, so I, I would just say, by and large, it's been it's been received well, but it gets into some difficult issues that have tended to be divisive over the years in terms of how you understand prophecy and what that means for the end times. So, um, yeah, looking forward to see what the Lord will do with this thing. Well, Bill, I, I really appreciate the book. I, I think that it's really an important subject for exactly the reason that you just said. I, I think that a lot of people misunderstand the end times. I mean, whatever whatever your view is of, you know, the, the timing and all of that, I mean, as separate of that, just just uh, just having a good understanding of the end times as we'll talk about is just so so critical. So I, I appreciate books like this, even, even if we disagree on the timing and all of that. Just talking about the second coming and having a conversation about that is just really it's really uh very very important so i i appreciate the book why should christians study the end times yeah well christians should study the end times because it's part of the bible um if if you understand the bible as a story a story the bible like all good stories has a beginning a middle and an end there's movement there is progress and the bible records that progress and it gives hints in terms of what uh christians ought to expect uh when when the lord finishes the the program of redemption uh and judgment on this earth and so it's part of the bible story in fact we don't really know we, we don't really understand the any of the bible story if we don't understand the end um i mean you, you go to genesis and you see you know two people living in paradise everything's wonderful um but you still don't know where that's going right and then you've got the terrible introduction of the curse man's fall into sin and uh, the introduction of the curse, that's really bad news. And you're not entirely sure how that's going to get resolved if you don't understand the end. Of course, from that point on, you've got, you know, God working out his promise through the message of the prophets and his physical deliverance of the Israelites from Egypt and the introduction into a new land, which was real, but also a type of the of the fulfillment of the promise that he is going to reveal at the last day. So all of these, all of the movements in the Bible, um, introduce questions that are only answered by by the doctrine of the end times. And so without eschatology, we have a very incomplete understanding of the Christian story um, and and of Christianity and our role in that and what we can expect. So, so it's important to study because it's in the Bible. But as mentioned before, the Christianity is a religion of hope, right? I need to be hopeful. Um, I need to believe that God exists, as Hebrews 11, 6 says, and that he will reward those who diligently seek him. Why should I be diligent? Um, why should I uh, work hard in this life? Um, you know, Paul, in, uh, just reading this morning, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 on the resurrection says, I worked harder than all the rest, but actually it was the grace of God in me that worked hard because he was anticipating the resurrection. He's, he's in the in the, in the uh, section on the resurrection and certainly anticipating the return of Christ. He says, that, that has made me work hard to be, to be faithful in, in this present dark day and age. And so without hope, it's very easy to quit. Um, it's very easy to say, you know, what's the use? So we need to be hopeful. We need to be bolstered by the promises that God will keep at the last day. So I hope people 
read the book and come out of the book more hopeful than they were before they read it. I think that's a really good point that you're bringing up here. In what way is the uh, end times uh, eminently practical? Yeah, well, there's there's a lot of ways that it's practical, but uh, let me just give one example. The end times shows what God is doing with sin. He is promising to send everything bad in this world, sin, and those who will not submit to the Lord Jesus into a place uh, where it cannot touch God's redeemed people. Um, so that's one thing. And he's also promising to take away our sin and even our ability to fall into sin in the in the age to come. That's extremely hopeful. It's so it can be so frustrating uh, to be you know to live in the flesh, having a, a spirit that desires the things of God, but as Jesus said, um, living in bodies in which the flesh is weak. That's frustrating. And if I didn't know that God was going to finish the work of of sanctification in me and 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 open paradise into a place where only good things will be in good relationships, it would be very easy to quit here and now. So I think the promise of, of finished and full salvation um, is, a, is a tremendous uh, incentive to be, to be to, to press on, to fight against sin, to know that God actually is more uh, intolerant of sin than I am, um, and he's going to banish sin. He um, warns against the dangers of, of continuing in sin, and he's going to uh, he's going to he's going to show himself faithful to punish sin and to rescue believers from sin in the, in the age to come. So that, that keeps me faithful, and I, I think it keeps God's people faithful. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a really good answer. How does a biblical hermeneutic help us understand the prophets yeah well um that's that's a very important question dave you have to understand the prophets if you're going to understand eschatology the end times if if we when we think about revelation when we think about the end times we a lot of times think about revelation the book of revelation but you can't understand revelation if you don't understand ezekiel and daniel and the other prophets and so the prophets can uh, contribute heavily to the end times message in revelation and to understand the prophets we need to understand them primarily as preachers. You know, they're they're sometimes seen simply as those who are telling the future beforehand. But God sends the prophets to Israel to do a very unpleasant task of calling them to repent of their sins, you know, to, to return to their covenant obligations. Um, mostly he calls them to Israel, but he also, of course, sends them to other nations, um, Jonah to uh, Assyria, for example. Um, the prophets are preachers. And so that's an, a very important hermeneutic principle when we look at the prophets, we have to understand that what they are primarily doing is calling God's people to repent of their sins and to be faithful. And that's really not different than what Jesus is doing in his apocalyptic messages, like in Matthew 25 and Mark chapter 13. Jesus has these images of the future, but he, he ends on the note, of, the, the note of application with this message, watch, you know, be, be ready, be faithful now. Like, make sure that, that this message of the future is is dry is, is encouraging your faithfulness now so that's why the prophet that's what the prophets are doing and so don't don't get when you read uh, the prophets particularly the old testament prophets or, or revelation don't get hung up on all of the details that you might not understand and don't you know resist the temptation to assign some you know 
future historical event to every you know strange detail because a lot of it ends up being speculative and and guesswork and we end up piecing together timelines that um, seem almost certainly to be inaccurate because of how often they disagree with each other and and it ought to say to us maybe that's not what the prophets are meant to how how they're meant to be treated so so read the prophets as preachers uh, preachers of faithfulness and preachers that introduce the good news of Jesus Christ but Bill timelines are fun Timelines are fun. I know timelines are fun. I'm just kidding. Um, I'm just kidding. They, they can be really, they can be really distracting. Like you know, we build these elaborate timelines, and we forget about what it means for me to live faithfully in my marriage today, mm-hmm. and with you know, with my children, and um, you know, at, on on the job, and so 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 so. Eschatology <laughs> says, be faithful now yeah. in all of your respective relationships. Yeah. That's good. How does a realistic, hopeful, and biblical pr- perspective about death help Christians process their own end and the ends of those around them? Yeah, death is 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 hard, right? It's unpleasant to think about it. Um, and we live in a culture in which death is uh, sort of an, un- uh, you know, even the thoughts of death are an unwelcome intrusion into our pursuit of, of fun and self-advancement. And we, we push thoughts of death away. And that's really unfortunate. Um, the Bible is constantly calling God's people to think about their end, uh, to remember that we're dust and that we, um, you know, we, we, we need to be more than what we are here and now in the flesh. There must be more than what's happening to us here and now. So we think about death sometimes. You know, we go to a funeral, we think about death. We uh, have somebody in our family die. We get sick and we wonder if we're going to die. All of those things are, are actually providences of God to help us think about death properly. So to help us to prepare for death. So we think about our own death, which is, by the way, part of part of uh, what theologians call individual eschatology. What's what's going to happen to me and my you know loved ones, individuals? We think about death so that we can be prepared. First of all, being prepared by committing ourselves to the one who has defeated death, who is you know the, the the Son of God has tasted death and has come out on the other side victorious, so that he can be the first fruits of all those who are connected to him by faith. Um, so we need to be prepared by trusting in Jesus. We need to be prepared to die by bearing fruit here now. Um, we, Jesus talks about uh, people as being investors in this age. I mean, you got the parable of the talents. You've got his idea in the Sermon on the Mount of two different kinds of treasure. One treasure that can be destroyed by moth and rust and can be stolen by thieves. And another which is incorruptible, imperishable using language from, uh, well, Peter uses that language later in First Peter chapter 1. Um, we need to be laborers here now because we're investing for the future. Um, I, so, so all of us as, as believers ought to think about our time now now as laying away, you know, a, a, a more blessed future. And so be, be, be diligent now. We don't want to, you know, Jesus says to the wicked, or he says to the, the servant in the parable of the talents, you're a wicked and lazy servant. You're not just lazy, but your laziness is wicked. And so, you know, we ought to be diligent um, because we are going to die. We don't know how long our lives are going to be. That doesn't mean, of course, that we should be diligent by, you know, in a way that neglects our health and our loved ones, um, our obligation to rest in Christ now. 
now, uh, but we ought to be workers in God's kingdom. And I think the, the reality of death uh, reminds us of that. And I think one of the things, Dave, um, we need to resist the uh, what Sinclair Ferguson calls the greatest heresy in America today, which is the what he calls a, do- a sort of a, a doctrine of justification by death. Um, people die, and it doesn't matter who you are. If you die, you're instantly elevated to sainthood. Um, you know, you might be a person who who just didn't care about the things of God at all in this life, but you go to you know you, people go to your funeral, and everybody has great things to say about you. Um, far, we're far more faithful in retrospect than we were in reality. It seems like, and so we need to resist that, um, and we need to call people to to repent, so that they're not you know just sort of depending on these vague promises of going to a better place when they die, which are really based on nothing if they're not based on the gospel. Yeah, yeah. I think that's really good. Doubt is viewed as uh, sexy and a virtue, although they wouldn't say that as explicit explicitly as that. Um, but but I think that's a large reason why um, you know. Sinclair is touching on something such so important. You know, growing up in secular, uh, very, very, a very secular city in Seattle. You know, I I saw that. Uh, you know, people people wanted to have hope. They they searched for hope and meaning and value, but they did it in drugs and alcohol and and other things. You know, and and uh, a lot. I had lots of friends who wanted to hear about Christianity, but they also wanted Christianity melded with with different belief systems. So you could talk to a non Christian all day long about you know Jesus in the Bible and, you know, open the Bible with them and they're interested in that. But they, they wanted that in addition to their belief system. So I think that for a lot of people, um, doubt is, it, it, it's almost like it's a philosophy of itself. Yeah. No, that's a good point. And the, the Bible uh, wants, God wants us to know, right? He wants us to know stuff. I mean, the Bible is a revelation. It's an unveiling. It's a um, it's a, it's a window into the, the heart and mind of God and his plans. And so, um, you know the, the the title of the book, the future of everything. That that sounds a little ambitious. Um, you, you know, you obviously can't tell a detailed future of everything in 150 pages. Um, but there's a lot that we can know, and so we shouldn't be ignorant of what we can know. And so one of the things I've tried to do in this book is, I mean, there are, there are a couple things in this book that I, that, I, that might be controversial, um, but I think with the exceptions of, of one chapter on the millennium, may, maybe two chapters if you include some of the thoughts on prophecy, I think almost nothing of what I have written would be controversial if you asked Christians around the world and throughout the entire Christian era. Um, what I try to do is take basic eschatology and clarify it and apply it in an experiential, devotional, practical way because God wants us to know. And so really, you know, you take take things like, you know, take the Apostles' Creed, basic affirmation that from heaven Christ shall come to judge the living and the dead. Um, we believe in the resurrection of the body. We believe in life everlasting. These are really basic things that no Christian can argue with, and we ought not be doubtful uh, about, as, as you mentioned, Dave. And so we take these basic things, sort of basic eschatology, that was a, 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 a sort of a uh, a, a title that we, we were considering, just calling it basic eschatology, because you take these basic things, then you try to elaborate on them in a way that are, are practical and edifying. But um, we ought to know, we ought to hear what God is saying, and and uh, you know, be be changed by the truth of what God wants them to know. Yeah, that's really. Cool. Uh, what advice do you have for someone giving their first eulogy? Yeah, good question. First eulogy. Well, that means different things in different traditions. So you know, I can't I can't speak to how every tradition handles sermons or 
homilies or, or eulogies at a person's funeral. In some traditions, there aren't eulogies, and I think there's there's something to be said for that. Keeping the keeping the funeral focused on God's promises. I think funerals ought to be personal. They ought to be you know you ought to know that this funeral is about this person. Couldn't be interchanged for somebody else. But if if, if you are in a tradition where eulogies happen in a funeral, um, keep the eulogy true. First of all, um, you know, I, you've probably been to funerals, Dave, we've probably all been to funerals where you hear these eulogies, and if you knew the person really well, you're like, eh, yeah, yes, yeah, that's maybe, okay, but there's the other side, too. You know, he wasn't always caring and kind and happy. I mean, I knew the other side of him as well, and I think if we're, if, if you know, we're obviously not trying to bring out dirty laundry of the person who's passed away, but I think if a eulogy isn't true, it doesn't, it doesn't even, doesn't, doesn't resonate with people, and it, it makes you suspicious, makes the hero suspicious, but more Worse than that, if, if you if you only talk about the positive things of a person after they've passed, you're not even communicating that they were a sinner saved by grace, right? So I'm not I'm not suggesting that you start listing all the bad things of a person, but what I want somebody to say about me at my funeral is, you know, Bill had a lot of problems. He was he was a sinner. Um, you know, we all know that he, you know this, that, and the other thing just didn't didn't do you know didn't live up to the expectations of God's will. We were disappointed by him sometimes. Um, be trusted in the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that is the difference between life and death, trusting in, in Jesus Christ. And so I think we I think it's very important in a eulogy to, to yes, talk about what 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 we want to remember about this person. You're sort of giving you know you're putting putting ideas into in, into people's minds that might linger. And they want to be the, they want to be they want to be positive ideas. Um, but we want to make sure if, if possible, of course this isn't always possible, but if possible to make sure that hearers understand what, what was most important about about this person is that they trusted in Jesus. And what I sometimes try to do, Dave, is is if if the if the deceased is a believer that we were we're remembering, is to say if this if if your loved one could talk could speak to you right now, um, this is this is what they would say. You know, I don't mean that in a you know kind of a weird mysterious you know like I'm I'm actually speaking for this person. But there are some things that we know deceased people who've gone to be with the Lord would say to loved ones. You know, don't waste your life. Do trust in Christ. And I, I think that can be powerful. And and I think that's consistent with scripture. I mean, you see in Jesus' parable of the rich man and Lazarus, there is this, at least a desire to, you know, to speak beyond the grave. Um, um, and I think that, I think that's important to, to communicate. Yeah, for yeah. sure. How should the doctrine of hell be used positively by Christians? Yeah, the doctrine of hell is is pretty negative. The doctrine itself, right? I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a warning doctrine. Um, hell is, in the, in the Bible, is like warning signs. Don't don't lose your life. Don't. I mean, what would a man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus said, "Don't go to hell." And that's what makes the doctrine of hell positive. Is that it's meant to be a, a word of rescue. A, you know, a word of warning. Um, so how is it positive? I would say one thing: it it um, it should it should encourage us in our in our evangelistic efforts. Um, I, I think that's become a little uncouth today to include hell in a, an evangelistic message. Certainly, it's been done. Poorly over the years, you know, the, the Christian message is not um, turn or burn. You know, it's not it's not you know uh, how to get out of hell. That's not the Christian message. And I think so. If we if we reduce the Christian message to how can I avoid hell, we've we've really truncated it and probably made it false. Um, that said, it, it is meant to be a warning to to unbelievers, right? And and so to even use some of the language of the Bible that that describes hell, I think is 
important. People have made up their own notions of hell today as sort of a, pet, a, a sort of a place of perpetual partying. That's false, according to Scripture. And so, just like people have made up silly notions about heaven, which are are oftentimes false. So, use the language of the Bible to describe hell: um, weeping, gnashing of teeth, the images of, of fire. Uh, but all of the images are so negative. So, use some of those. Use those images. It also, though, hell tells us something about God. Tell us that God is holy. God hates sin. He hates sin more than we do. I don't know that I would conceive of a place like hell as a, as a place where people ought to go. I'm not that holy. I'm not that, I don't have that kind of hatred of sin like God does. So if we didn't have the doctrine of hell, we would miss out on a lot of what is true about God. And it, it also ought to help us to appreciate the beauty of heaven. It's a, it's a photo negative of hell. It's everything, it's, it's, it's everything we know about this life with all the bad parts taken away and banished into hell. That's what heaven is. So, um, yeah, we can't forget about hell to be evangelical Christians. We have, we cannot erase hell. That's really well said. How does the biblical understanding of heaven help the Christian? Well, yes. So that's important because as I mentioned, we cannot have heaven sort of be the default prize for not going to hell. You know, like in a lot of, you you know, when you hear a testimony or when you ask somebody, you know, how do you know, you know, what's, you know, was this person a Christian? Oh yeah, that person was a Christian. They're not going to hell. You know, that's like, if that's the main thing we think of, then we don't really understand what it, what the gospel promises. The gospel promise is a promise of God with us. Um, that's what was lost in the fall. Adam and Eve had God with them. They loved God's presence. They walked together. They talked together. They enjoyed his his voice. Everything was, was wonderful in that relationship. That closeness was, was shattered by Adam and Eve's fall into sin. We have a glimpse of God with us in the coming of Christ as the as um, God's promise to send a mediator. Um, that was really precious. You know, the people that had the opportunity to live with Jesus, um, uh, they had a they had a, one of the most potent tastes of the perfection of the promise that anybody could have. But the fulfillment of the promise is living with God apart from sin, um, being in the midst of, of the Holy Trinity um, without this cloud of sin, this fog of, of misunderstanding, this seeing through a glass dimly like we do now. Um, so that's the, nothing less than that will satisfy, right? What I, what I'm yearning for is not just to know stuff about Jesus. I, I'm longing for Jesus if I'm a Christian. Um, I'm groaning, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, I'm groaning to be reunited with, with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so that's that's heaven. And, and I think that's that's invigorating to me. Um, I love this life. This is a good life that God has given to his people. Um, and I think this life gives us a sense of what we ought to expect, but that it will be um, not hindered by all that sin has done here negatively. So Christians ought to anticipate um, a, a sort of a sort of a continuation of this life, but with a reunion. Um, that's why Revela- uh, Revelation 21 pictures the, the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, and the Bible says the dwelling with, uh, with God is again with people. And so I, you know, that we've got to keep that image of reunion with God before the eyes of Christians today. Um, it is not just about not going to hell. It's about being with the Lord. Very, very important. That is really well said. How does the mission of the church relate to the end times? Well, eschatology uh, is really, a, uh, from our perspective now, it's a doctrine of waiting, right? We're waiting for uh, God to finish his work. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew 24, verse 14, that he will not return until he's preached to all nations. So if eschatology 
eschatology is uh, the doctrine of the last things which uh, um, begin by the return of Jesus Christ, we can say that isn't going to happen until Christ is preached. And so we ought to be, um, we ought to see ourselves as missionaries. Jesus is saving people now by his grace, but he doesn't immediately take them to be with himself. He leaves them, he leaves us here as missionaries in a in a, a dark uh, country, a, a, you know, a, a country that's darkened by sin. And so um, we need to see ourselves, as Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 9, as a, as a chosen people, a holy nation, called to make known the praises of the of God who has drawn us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so um, that's our mission. That's why we're here, right? We're here to make disciples of, of all nations. And so I think without a robust eschatology, m- mission work, not just sending missionaries into foreign countries, praying for them, uh, paying for them, but living as missionaries in our place here and now is going to be really hindered because we don't understand that that's, that's why we're here. That's We're waiting for Jesus to come, but during the waiting, we're also inviting others to be to, to be on the right side of history. Yeah, that's really yes. good. Well, Bill, as we wrap up this conversation, and it's been really good, and as listeners, uh, go ahead and pick up your book. Can you give us a few takeaways that you have about this topic, please? Yes, yes. Understand that God is at work. That's, that's I think, one of the main things eschatology teaches us. We don't see God at work, you know, if we look around us necessarily. We might be in the moment, in our family life, in our personal life, we might be so deep in a rut. Uh, that we don't, we can't see out of the top of it, and it doesn't seem like God is working. Um, we might be so frustrated by our own sense of, of lack of progress and sanctification that it's it's hard for us to imagine that God is 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 performing a great work of, of rescue. And so, read the Bible uh, as a testimony of the fact that God is at work. It is happening. God is doing something. No matter what your situation might suggest, um, God is rescuing. He's redeeming. He's saving. He's is preparing a place for us as he tells his disciples and so um, so this is what it means to live by faith we can't see Jesus in heaven we can't verify all of the work that he says he's doing uh, preparing to return but we believe it we believe that God is at work and I think that's the most important takeaway Dave is that God is at work um, something much bigger is happening than what we can see as we look around that's really well said brother and uh, I've really enjoyed our time together today it's been very encouraging and insightful and I just pray Christ versus blessings on your ministry and your work. Thank you, Dave. It's been a pleasure to be with you. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that you were encouraged by today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review wherever you get your podcast. For more uplifting and thought-provoking content, please visit us online at servantsofgrace.org. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Servants of Grace and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Servants of Grace. We hope you have a blessed day and we will see you next time.